Have the Conversation podcast, a podcast centered around mental health, wellness, and everything in between. I'm Kala. And I'm Leanne. We're sitting down with everyday people to talk about life and the lessons they've learned, all in an effort to connect and stay encouraged. You've seen them on TV, in movies, and like us, you've probably had a preconceived notion of what they're all about. That's right. We're talking about hypnotists. In an effort to understand and gauge our own intrigue, we thought it was time to go to the source and get familiar with what exactly hypnosis is. Doug Sands, a clinical hypnotist, took time to join us this week to explain all things hypnosis, neuroplasticity, and just how amazing our brains actually are. After the episode, be sure to check out htcpod.com episodes for more information and ways you can connect with Doug. We're very intrigued, like many, um, many people I know will be when they listen to this back, because... There's not a time in my life that I can remember that I haven't just gone, oh, I should just get hypnotized. <laughs> and all my problems would be solved. So what, what happens to your brain during hypnosis? Like, what is hypnosis? Yeah. Hypnosis in a, um, oh, man, where to find that? Hypnosis is essentially about slowing down your brain waves to what's called a theta state, a theta frequency. And when you're at that theta frequency, it's about using psychological tools like from psychology and from neuroscience to help you make those changes. Hypnosis is all about uh, bringing your unconscious to the fore. It's all about bringing it up so that you can make those changes and make them rapidly. As I, as I mentioned with the theta state, when, uh, when we're looking at the brain waves of, hyp of hypnosis, when we're in normal conversation, just as we are right now, our brain waves are hovering at what's called beta frequency. That's normal just every day. It's what we go through. It's what being awake feels like. Below that, you have alpha, which is a light trance. And that's where you go if you're meditating or if you are um, just kind of zoning out. That's, that's a light state of trance where it's just kind of peaceful. Below that is theta frequency. And that is the golden state of hypnosis. That's where uh, you are, you're, the creative side of your mind is turning on, the analytical parts of your mind are turning off so you don't have that inner, uh, that inner editor or that inner uh, guard watching over. The critic. The critic, Ooh. exactly, exactly. I love that inner editor. I'm gonna use that from yeah. here on out. <laughs> Says the writer, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And in that theta state, that's where you're able to make those powerful changes. And because uh, the parts of your mind that are still still watching over and making sure that, you know, this, no one suggests anything that is going to harm you, those are still active, but they are much more permissible about what is going to enter your unconscious mind. Wow. Are there ways that we can get into theta on our own, or is it Absolutely. necessary to have? Uh, they, there are? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that brings up the, the interesting link between hypnosis and meditation. So hypnosis, I should say meditation, it's, it's that gray area between the two because uh, whereas in solo meditation, you're often actually speeding up your brain waves into like a heightened state of focus. In a guided meditation, you are slowing down your brain waves. You're going closer to sleep, closer to that theta frequency. Now, most guided meditations will just get you to that, uh, that alpha state. And there are a couple, there are you know, a handful that will get you all the way down to that theta state. And I should say that the more you practice going into theta state, the easier it can be. So if someone is familiar with how that theta state feels for them, they can get there using 
either self-hypnosis or a guided meditation or um, simply putting themselves back in that state. Wow. How, like, how did you discover this? But like, how long did it I was going to say. Like, yeah, like, okay, let's, let's hear your... My own story is, it's a little bit unique. Um, I don't think there are many people who grow up thinking, I'm going to be a hypnotist. And that certainly right, wasn't my case. That's what I was so curious about. Did you know at like age eight that this is what oh, you No, no I, I never even heard of hypnosis at that point. Um, I was I was in college trying to find out what, what on earth I wanted to do with my life. And I ended up going across the country to Maine to uh, go hike in the mountains and just work some seasonal jobs. And I was still trying to figure out my own anxiety, my own depression. And it came down to a pretty dramatic turning point in my life. I got lost on a hike in a blizzard. And that was the, the moment I decided I couldn't keep living life as I was doing. I couldn't keep waiting for someone else to fix my anxiety, to fix my depression. Were you by depression. yourself? Come again? You, you, were you by yourself? I was. I was by myself. I got off trail and I was following a river. I ended up following that river all the way back to the highway. So it was a very wow. long day, very long night for me. But made it back. And when I got back, I thought things would be just be back to normal. But my anxiety was so high, I was literally shaking for about a week afterwards. And that's when I discovered meditation, just as a way, first of all, to calm myself, to get back to back to living, essentially. And I fell in love with meditation. I grew up in a part of the country where it, it was not really a thing. And so for a lot of people, it's like, well, well, duh, meditation. But for me, that was so radical. And that opened up the door to exploring the science of mind and um, the brainwaves. And that's when I discovered hypnosis. And I got hypnosis for myself originally to help deal with that anxiety, those anxious emotions. And when I saw just how effective and how rapid it was at making those changes, I knew that I had to go, I had to go get certified and go bring this to other people. So then you had a good hypnotist then, because I imagine I if you had a bad experience, that wouldn't have been your your reaction. <laughs> you know, I did. Yes, I found a, a very good hypnotist out of Toronto who worked with me, and um, yeah, from there it was just I was so curious about it that it was like I was I was just consuming as much information as I could about it. What was there certain moments or like factors in that research or like when you were digging into it that you were like, yes, this checks this box for me with hypnosis? I think the uh, the idea that of, of neuroplasticity, that, that's a huge thing in hypnosis. The idea that we can change our minds at any point in our lives. It's so and, fascinating. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And it's for me personally, when I was before that, that hike, I was stuck in that mindset of, you know, my mind is not going to change. I'm going to have these uh, illnesses for the rest of my life. And that hike forced me to question those things because, you know, if that was my life, like, did I really, is that what I wanted? I want to go back to that night when you were following the river. Cause I have so many questions there. Like, what was that <laughs> inner dialogue? Like, like what were you dealing with that was getting you to that point? I'm so curious. Did you really think you were going to not make it? Oh, yes. I, I wow. did not think I was going to make it out. Um, I had, For a couple of weeks before then, I'd been trying to figure out what I was going to do. Like I was I was in the mountains, um, but I was not happy at all. I was working a job I didn't enjoy and um, I, I needed to make a change, but I just wasn't quite ready for it until that day. 
And I, I went out because it was the last, it was my last day off before I was going to leave New Hampshire. And I really should not have been out that day because I, I, I stepped outside and it's a blizzard. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go anyways. So I get to the top of this what mountain. What could possibly happen? Exactly, exactly. What's the worst I could, yeah. That's so how I it always it. plays out, by the way, for all of us. <laughs> Famous last words, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get to the top of the mountain and it, the blizzard is so thick that I literally cannot see more than 10 feet in any direction. And so I'm, I'm going along, going on this ridge line, and I'm looking for a turnoff to my left, and I must have missed it because I followed what I thought was a turnoff, and it turned out to be completely wrong. So by the time I realized I was off trail, I was so far out of the way that there was no way to hike back up. And so I just had to keep pushing through, and um, I thought, you know, I'm going to stumble upon something soon. And I thought that at 2 o'clock and 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock and 5 o'clock rolls around, and it's getting dark. I am uh, soaked to the bone because it was starting to snow and my heat was melting the snow as it landed on my jacket. And so I knew that if I, if I hunkered down, I was gonna freeze. And so I just had to keep pushing and I was following this, this stream, hoping that at every bend, every turn, I was going to see something that uh, you know, would, would indicate where I am or it would show there's the highway, I'm, I'm getting close. Nothing, nothing at all. And finally, it was like seven o'clock. It, it completely turned dark. I was—I had only my headlamp uh, to light the way. And having grown up in a part of the country where there are there aren't a lot of, of city lights, I, I was used to the dark, but not this level of dark. It was pitch black. I mean, as dark as you can imagine. I could not see anything outside of that headlamp. And I climbed up this hill and I slid back down and I did that two or three times because it was so steep. And at the third time, I remember just putting my face in the snow and giving up. And that was the moment I laid there and I was like, you know, is this it? I guess, I guess you know, we, we, did, we put in a good effort. Yeah, surrender moment. <laughs> and it wasn't that moment of, it wasn't like a, a thought of, you know, my future uh, kids or family or whatever. It was not, not, nothing hallmark like that. It was the weird thought that they weren't going to find my body until spring. That was what got me up and started me moving. And so I thought, well, I, I might as well just keep going and see how far I get. And eventually I trudged my way all the way back to a, a cross country trail, which led to the highway. Oh my gosh. Oh my, this is, that's a movie in itself, yeah. that, that whole moment, my gosh. So you get to the highway, did you have to flag someone down? Like what was happening there? It was a, it was a four-lane highway, and so um, I was like, I'm not sure anyone's going to stop for me. It, I fall, ended up following the, there was a cross-country trail that followed the highway back down to the parking lot. It was still like another five miles that I had to trudge, but by the time I got back to my car, I was so deadbeat exhausted, and I, I got to the parking lot, and I had this moment I almost broke down again because I thought my car had been stolen. I couldn't find oh it. And it was because it snowed so much that day, the snow plows piled up a, you know, all the snow in right in front of my car. So I just had to look for it, but that was a whole experience for sure. Yeah. Uh, pretty profound, I would think. Cause I, I can only imagine the whole time you're walking, you're like just having like an internal struggle of oh, like yes. whatever your issues are in your life, right? And then you, you think that you finally made it. And then at the very end, you couldn't even, cause it's like one more. Like you hadn't learned your lesson yet or something. 
Because I'm always like that because I have those in my life and it's just like, it always brings forth like such profound things afterwards. Yes. Yes. I had some major changes in my life after that hike and uh, changes that are still impacting my life to this day. What was the first change you made? Oh, man. Or the, oh, I guess the, the biggest change would have been meditation, I'm assuming. Yes. Meditation and then hypnosis were the biggest changes that came out of that. The first change I ever met made or made after that was giving up on a dream of mine. I'd been dreaming for so long of being a fiction author, and I, I attached my sense of purpose to that rather than letting it be something that uh, would would be an accomplishment. It was it was like do or die. Like either. I had to be a writer or I, I don't know what my purpose was. And so I had to open myself up and say, maybe there's another purpose to my life. And I think that writing is still a thing I'd love to do in the future, but I was literally forcing myself to sit down and push something out, even if it wasn't that great, even if it wasn't what I wanted to write, because I just wanted that label of being a writer so badly. Oh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> like you are like saying everything that is my life right now. So yeah. that's really, I understand it. Yes. Yeah, so you had your breakthrough with realizing that all those, these things were like put on your heart to do. It just maybe wasn't time yet. And that you had other things that you needed to do first. Is that what, am I hearing that correctly? Okay. Exactly. And I realized that if I was going to write anything worth reading, it was going to have to come when I wasn't trying so hard Forcing, to just, yeah created out of thin air. It, it was going to have to come when I had the mental clarity, the mental space to allow it to happen. God, and that's a, that's a lot of reality on that mountain for you to come to that conclusion. I feel like it was so real. It just knocked the fiction out of you. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. Do you see yourself? I'm pretty talented with drawing and painting, and it's something that I... I did higher levels of classes for, but it's something that always felt very much like a chore for me. So I do have to like make myself do it. And I, I used to feel a lot of guilt for that as well. Um, but Cala, I was telling Cala about this book called uh, design your own life. And it just talks about how you can have, you can have multiple things that you, you place your focus into. It doesn't just have to be one thing. And there are also times in life for those talents to get brought out of you. So that was kind of like what helped give me peace to be like, okay, maybe art will be like a retired Leanne thing. <laughs> and right now I'll just do what I'm doing. You know what yes, I mean? Absolutely. I've, over time, I've realized that there are so many different seasons of life. And that I thought when I was slightly yes, less young than I am now, um, I thought that I had to have it done immediately. I had I had to uh, get it all done and have it all figured out. And life clearly doesn't work that way. So I uh, I, I do understand that feeling that perhaps writing is perhaps writing is not meant for me at this stage of my life. Maybe it's not even meant for me at you know at before fifty. I don't know. Maybe it's as you said a retired thing, or maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm not a writer at all. Maybe. That was a dream that I pursued that led me to something else. I want to go back to the meditation that led to the hypnosis. So what was your first experience with meditation? Like, did you find an app or hear from a friend? 
I tried I tried an app. I used Headspace and I, I fell in love with it. And meditation for me was a very scary experience at first because it was the first time I'd ever sat with my own thoughts. And having had anxiety and depression, it was a very frightening place to be in my own mind. And if I hadn't been so desperate for a solution, I think I might have given it up. And using it, using Headspace, even just for like a couple minutes every day, uh, that was all I could handle. That was, I couldn't handle anymore because I would freak out. I would literally, my heart would start racing, thinking that something was terrible was about to happen. And over time, uh, as I was using that app, I increased that to 10 minutes and then to 20 minutes. And it became such a grounding part of my day that um, I'm not sure what it would have happened without it. I've noticed such a huge difference in when we got locked down the first time, I obviously couldn't go to work. Nobody could go to work anymore. So my schedule was pretty wide open. And I had always struggled with trying to get as much sleep as possible. I love sleep. I'm like very much like I I just love, like I I would sleep all day long. But um, I thought like the more sleep I got, the more rested I would be for the day. And so I'd press snooze. I was like a chronic snoozer. But now, like I, when we got in lockdown, I started practicing meditation because I was like, well, I have all this time. I need to do something to to better myself. And I've heard on all these health podcasts about the benefits of meditation. But like you, I mean, it was was really hard for me and kind of scary and boring, to be honest, to just (laughs) sit there and like, what am I going to think about? Like, we're so overstimulated. It just wasn't an attractive thing. So it took a while for me to do it. But now... Um, after having practice, I wake up extra early so that I can meditate first thing in the morning. And it has completely like rewired my brain for, for the day. Like I feel fully prepared, even though I'm technically getting less sleep than I used to. And don't you feel too, like in situations throughout the day, you're able to pause more when you have like set that intention like early, especially first thing in the morning to like really like set the tone of the day. I think that's so interesting how you can just kind of go back into that. For a while when I was learning self-hypnosis the very first time, I substituted self-hypnosis for my meditation practice. They feel kind of similar. Are they different? I was going to say. Yeah, they are different. The, The mental muscles that you use for each are a little bit different. So in solo meditation, you are just focusing on something. You are allowing your mind to um, speed up, to slow down, to do whatever it does as long as you return back to that focus. When you are in self-hypnosis, you are typically doing it for a goal. You are doing it to um, increase your confidence or, I don't know, relax, whatever it may be. They're different intentions. And so your mind can be going in different places. Uh, When you're in solo meditation, oftentimes your mind is speeding up you're going into that gamma state that is above that, that, that beta frequency. Whereas in self-hypnosis, you are almost always going down the scale. And I was noticing that without that meditation to start my day, I was not getting that focus anymore. I was still feeling you know, fine uh, with that bit of relaxation in the morning, but I was not getting the, the clarity that really came out of meditation in the first place. So it's something I ha- also had to build back into my schedule as well. Mm-hmm. So you do hypnosis and meditation. You think both of them are equally useful, I guess? I do, yes. Actually, myself, my, my morning routine now is to do 20 minutes of hypno- or 
of meditation and then about 15 minutes of self-hypnosis. So what is self-hypnosis really like? Walk me through it. How do you start? Like, I, I need the whole rundown. <laughs> <laughs> so self-hypnosis is actually more complicated than uh, hypnosis with a hypnotist because you have to be both the hypnotist and the person being hypnotized. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting balance. And so it took me a while to really master it, I guess if you can say it. But it personally, it, it looks like you're sitting on your meditation cushion or chair or whatever, and uh, you are intentionally putting yourself into that hypnotic state. If you've ever seen someone uh, at, a, at a stage show, if they're slumped over, they, are, they look like they're sleeping, but they are conscious and aware the entire time. And that's the same in self-hypnosis. You're aware the entire time, and you are guiding yourself through these different steps, through these different tools, uh, and you are maintaining that state of theta intentionally. Then I'm guiding myself through visualizations and other different techniques from psychology uh, to make those changes that I want to focus on for that day. And then I bring myself out, I make sure that the changes are installed, and that's pretty much it. How do you yourself know when you've hypnotized yourself? <laughs> yeah, I'm, absolutely. I feel like I'm going down a wormhole, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes down to that, to, to the idea that there are different parts of our mind. There are different parts. Uh, there are parts of us who are great on, on a podcast. There are parts of us who are great when walking our dogs. There are parts of us who are great when asking for a raise. The thing about self-hypnosis is that you have to um, allow two parts to swap the, the role of executive in your mind at that moment. And so while your body will be feeling fully relaxed and you'll be feeling these sensations from uh, the changes you're making intentionally, there's still going to be a part of yourself that's out of hypnosis that is at least aware enough to give yourself instructions. And you can do this with other people in regular hypnosis. You can tap into that. Yes, absolutely. That's sorcery. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> that's, that's, that's so wild to me. So you have this breakdown and you start to bring yourself back to a place where you're feeling good and, and you found this passion with neuroplasticity and you, you start reading into hypnosis. How do you go from reading about it to learning how to actually do it? I know you said that you started to do it to yourself. Who is the first person that you were able to do this for? Oh, the very first person I hypnotized. I want to say it was another hypnotist. I think that I had been... Like in a class setting? Yes, like in a okay, class okay. setting. And so I had uh, I had been learning it via podcasts and via uh, online resources for a couple of months at that point. And then I went to the uh, HypnoThoughts. It's a conference which, of course, happens in Vegas. Why not? Uh, it's, it's the <laughs> biggest conference of hypnotists, at least in uh, North America, I think in the entire world. But HypnoThoughts... What weekend is that? <laughs> I want to go on that weekend. <laughs> it's the first weekend of August, actually. And this, okay. this conference was the first time I actually met another hypnotist. And so I was learning so much. I was just drinking in information. And that was the first time I actually got to practice hypnosis. I mean, I'm sure, as you know, hypnosis has, a, has an interesting, I, it's, I, don't, I don't want to say stigma, but people have an idea of what it actually is that's so different from the reality of what hypnosis is. 
And so that's why we're so intrigued to talk to you. I mean, for, for real, what goes down at a hypnotist conference? There's a lot of classes about hypnosis, a lot of breakout sessions, um, a lot of different techniques get introduced at, at these sessions. Um, there's a lot about business and business mindset because hypnotists are great at being hypnotists, but not always at being solo business uh, owners. And so yeah. that's a big part of it. And then the evenings you've got like stage shows, a lot, of, a lot of stage hypnotists come to this conference and they'll perform in Vegas and you'll get invited to that. And uh, sometimes people will go out on the strip and do some street hypnosis. And um, it's just connecting with other hypnotists and uh, making some great connections that way because it, it, with so few hypnotists in like a local area, it's kind of hard to meet in person other uh, unless there's a conference setting. Yeah, no, that's so neat. I just I literally didn't know anything like that existed. That's so cool. <laughs> so you said you guys discuss different techniques for so so there are more than just everyone. You said there's that stigma of the the watch and you are getting sleepy. So so what what are some techniques that uh, that you use that work for your clients? Yeah, so the idea of the swinging watch that's it's outdated for one. I don't know yeah. any hypnotist who actually <laughs> swings a watch, but that the that it's called an induction and that's the uh, that's the most common idea that people have of putting someone in hypnosis an induction is simply helping a person to get to that theta state you can do that with language patterns you can do that with guided visualizations you can also do that with kinesthetic things kinesthetic body movement type things uh, those different types of it um, inductions have some very uh, very nuanced uh, layers to them and so oftentimes at these tech at these conferences you're learning very specific types of inductions and the, the rest of it is often about learning actual change change works because when your mind is in that theta state you can speak to it directly you can give it direct suggestion and that's a very powerful way to make changes but it's also very effective to use tools like visualizations, tools like feeling states, because in hypnosis, the creative side of your mind, that side that uh, speaks in images and feelings, that's the side that's in the executive. And when you speak to that side of your mind in a language that it can understand, in a language of feelings and thoughts and images, that's really what makes that change powerful. And so the, these techniques are all about translating tools from psychology and neuroscience into standard protocols like visualizations and different ways of communicating that to your brain effectively. Such a gift that you're able to like connect all of that for people. It really is. Absolutely. It's been, it's been a very rewarding career. I'll say that. What's, what are your like highlights so far? Oh gosh. I tell the story often of this guy from from California, and just know any because I deal with sensitive information. Any information is um, and it's, it's changed, like names and stuff. Sure. So let's yeah. let's call this guy Bill. Bill is a a, a CEO or executive level um, businessman in California who uh, came to me because he went over the handlebars of his mountain bike. And he was having anxiety about getting back on the bike because uh, because it, it, he was literally shaking. He, it was a traumatic experience for him. 
And so in hypnosis, we went back to that moment of him going over the handlebars and it was very clear from that moment, there was something deeper. There was another issue underlying all that. And so we went back to an earlier memory a memory that his mind had actually blocked out because it, it was trying to protect him. It was that memory of his first time on a bike. He got on the bike and one of his training wheels was not securely attached and it fell off. And he had that terrifying moment of tipping over and losing complete control. And so unconsciously, his mind learned then and there that bikes are dangerous and that uh, they represent loss of control. And so he actually took up mountain biking in his adult life because he wanted that thrill of facing that loss of control. And when he went over the handlebars, that was that moment that old fear kicked in. And so in hypnosis, we were bringing back resources to that younger self. We were also stripping away that negative emotion, that terror from that old memory and just keeping the information intact while taking away that emotional response. And when he came out of it, Bill was so, he was, he was very fuzzy, let's, let's say it that way. And he, he went home and I got a message from him a week later saying things were great. And then a couple months later, he messaged me saying that he couldn't believe what else had changed in his life. Not only was he able to get back on the bike, he was uh, exploring new routes and doing all sorts of crazy stuff with it. He was also taking new business adventures and um, starting a blog that he'd been dreaming about for quite some time. So when we remove those, those difficult emotions from our lives, those difficult memories, uh, everything that is built on top of those memories, every coping mechanism, every unconscious habit that we have that is built on top of that, they, they tend to start to fall away. And that was the case with Bill. He was no longer afraid of the mountain bike and he was no longer afraid to start these other ventures as well. Oh, that is so cool. It's like another tool to like deal with trauma. It's really neat. Absolutely. We talked to um, a guy named Eric last week and he does the, oh God, emotional freedom technique. Thank you. Freedom. He wanted to say feeling. Yeah, the EFT. And um, he said that it works similar to how you're saying hypnosis works where it takes kind of the negative emotional charge away from the trauma to reprocess it and make your brain okay with it. Is that essentially what, what you're doing with hip hypnosis? Absolutely, absolutely. And EFT and hypnosis, they do work very well together. Hypnosis, I mean, that's not the only thing you can do in hypnosis, but that is a very central part of it. You, you don't want to remove the memory entirely because what happens, you know, if, if, for example, if someone was bit by a dog once and now they are afraid of dogs, if you take away the entire memory, they also learn, lose the learnings that they have from that. And so just with EFT, you take away the negative emotional charge. You allow them to process it as information rather than emotional experience. So neat that we can do that. I know. It's, cra it's crazy that a lot of people don't know about it. You know, a lot of people don't, and a lot of people don't know that there is a negative emotional charge along with a lot of the things that have happened to them that are creating these behaviors that are like, you know, just following them into their, their future that are holding us back. It's just, it's crazy. And just the fact that they can do it themselves. Like they don't need that magic pill to do it. That's what I love about it so much. It's going to somebody that can help you walk through that and treat the root 
without the, without, you know, I just, I love it. I think it's, it's so, so neat. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know if this is too personal of a question, but the first time you were hypnotized, what was like the, what was your experience? My, yeah, absolutely. My experience, I, hmm, I, I still was not very good at being hypnotized. Uh, I say that because it's, to, to fully experience hypnosis, you have to, uh, one, let yourself experience Go it. Go there, you're, <laughs> yeah. yeah. If, if, you're, if you're resisting it, it's not going, it's not going to happen quite as deeply as, as it should. Um, but the more, the more times that I experienced it, the better I got at going into that deep state. I'd say the first time I got into that deep state, it was an experience very similar to meditation, except I was completely relaxed. I was not focused on any one thing. I was allowing someone else to kind of guide the conversation, you know, the hypnotist. And it was, it was deeply relaxing. It was also deeply, um, deeply therapeutic. Hypnosis, I should say trance of any kind, whether it's in meditation or in hypnosis or anything in between, it is a deeply healing state. Your mind actually shifts into a gear where uh, it starts to heal itself automatically. And so this is, you know, when we sleep, we are passing through different frequencies um, to heal our body. And in that theta frequency, that is a way you can actually, um, that is a way you can actually start some changes in your body and start, you know, detoxing, I guess. I guess you can say it that way. Um, so hypnosis itself felt very relaxing, felt very um, calm. And it's, it's a common thing for, uh, to, to experience what's called time dilation, when you kind of lose track of time in that state. When I came out of it, I thought, you know, 10 minutes had passed. And I looked at the clock and it was 45 minutes. You are so, so relaxed that you kind of just forget where you, you forget what's going on around you. Sounds ideal. <laughs> no, you could go for that. Leanne just came back from vacation, so she, the vacation hangover is so real. <laughs> I need a good hypnosis right now. <laughs> so, what does your typical client come to see you for? Like, is there like a certain trend, or do you have like a specialty that you help treat? I do. I uh, I, I focus on um, anxiety relief and weight loss, and those two were both very big in my own life because. Uh, anxiety, clearly, yes, but also weight loss. I was using food as my primary coping mechanism for so long. And so those two things, I, I'm able to help and make some very powerful changes with people. And I should say with weight loss that it's not about uh, convincing their body to burn, I don't know, twice as many calories as, as they normally do. It's about dealing with the unconscious habits, motivations, and beliefs that caused that issue to happen in the first place. And so I, I find that I thought those two were very separate at first, but the more I deal with the emotional side of weight loss, the more it's very clear that they are extremely linked. Yeah. If, if I'm feeling relaxed and great, I'm not like binge eating a bag of Pringles. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, exactly. exactly. I, it's usually when you don't feel good, that's when those bad behaviors kind of crawl out. You know? Oh, that's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I was um, on your website and you have a great video intro video. It was like the most 
relaxing hype video I've ever experienced. <laughs> it was hype. It was so charming. It was so good. But I felt I felt so you. calm, but I was also like, hell yeah, like this is great. <laughs> so um you talked about uh neuro linguistic programming. What what yes. is that? Neurolinguistic programming is an, a, a very interesting offshoot of hypnosis. Um, in about the 1950s, 1960s, these two researchers from uh, California were attempting to figure out just what made hip hypnotists and therapists so effective. They were looking at language patterns specifically. And from studying hypnotists and other types of therapists, they, they created this framework called neurolinguistic programming. And it's about using language patterns outside of trance to help someone create change. Now, neurolinguistic programming is often using tools like visualizations as well. Uh, it's not in a formal trance, and so it's not technically hypnosis, but they are so, so connected that oftentimes if you learn one, you end up learning so much about the other. That's so interesting. Did you also bring up acupressure? Yes, I, I did. So HypnoThoughts, this conference, it, it brings out a lot of people who are not exactly hypnotists. So people who specialize in NLP, neurolinguistic programming, people who specialize in um, acupressure and acupuncture, they also come to conferences like this because there's such an overlap oftentimes between these different modalities. And so when I'm bringing a, uh, a whole well-rounded package to someone to deal with, say, anxiety, I'm often using tools from neurolinguistic programming from EFT, from acupressure, and other types of uh, relaxation techniques to help someone make those changes permanent and make them, uh, make them effective in their life. Can you give an example of NLP techniques? Absolutely. Let's see. An NLP technique would be a, hmm, what's a good one? NLP is all about visualizations. And so I can walk you through one right now. I mean, it would be, uh, it's often bringing in more uh, the body chemistry, or not the body chemistry, the like state changes, like changing how you're standing and changing how you're visualizing and changing the different areas of that. Okay. Walk me through, like, kind of like your story in the beginning of on the mountain. Like, I would probably be a more like positive version of that. But is that kind of like what you're describing? Kind of, sorta. So I would in NLP, you would probably you would typically have the person close their eyes and just visualize it. Um, and one of the techniques is about visualizing yourself standing in a certain way, and then people, um, people who you trust, people who would advise you in that situation they uh, bring in resources that you need. And then you imagine installing those resources and uh, then notice how the other person changes. And in a, without a hypnotic trance, you can still make these powerful changes because you are giving those changes, that are those instructions, in a way that your unconscious can understand. But that being said, those visualizations can also benefit from a hypnotic trance. So you're saying that NLP is effective because it you're creating visuals and that's what that side of your brain, that's how that side of your brain communicates. So it helps kind of bring it to the forefront. 
Yes. Absolutely. Okay. okay, I'm understanding now. I was sometimes big concepts without examples. I'm like, hold on. <laughs> Not I'll be completely honest. Where I'm like thinking about, I was like, I think a lot of people get that from psychedelics, and that's where I'm yeah. like, you know, like it opens up that part of their brain where they can see it in the way that you're explaining. That's the way I'm on. That's the way. I, that's the way I can relate. Let's just be honest. <laughs> What it what it feels like is it mm -hmm. that you're able to do that? That's so cool. So Absolutely. you said that um, in your video that we all go into like different states of hypnosis throughout the day. Yes. Can you give some examples of that? Absolutely. I, I think it's on average we go into a state of trance every seven minutes because oh, wow. we're constantly um, shifting into that unconscious state whether we are brushing our teeth or driving our car or doing anything that is so often repeated that it just becomes automatic. Every time perhaps you open up your computer, you go through the same ritual that your mind just kind of checks out. And the reason it does this is because our minds are habit building machines. Uh, you know, back when we were just walking the Sahara trying to survive, uh, that was a very simple way to conserve calories because your brain is the, the organ in your body that consumes the most energy. And anytime that your brain can make things easier, can make things simpler, it will do that because it still believes that we, we have an, uh, a shortage of calories and we need to preserve every single one of those. But these habits, these moments of trance, they happen oftentimes without us thinking about it. If you've ever been driving a car and you just kind of zone out and zone back in, um, your unconscious was still driving that car. Otherwise, you know, it's the reason you don't crash. It's the reason you don't hurt yourself uh, when you are zoning out perhaps in the kitchen or something or doing shower. Anything, really. It's always the shower. <laughs> <laughs> How do I get in here? <laughs> yeah. Well, you just, you just don't go, you can stay there for forever. Cause you just think you do, you exactly. go off into those wild, those wild thought patterns of whatever it is that just, Capturing your curiosity, I guess. Exactly. Daydreaming is literally the most common form of trance. And so in hypnosis, we are simply deepening that trance and taking it another step further to create those powerful changes. So are there ways that people, if we are going into these states unknowingly every seven minutes, are there ways that we can kind of catch it and, and use those moments to improve our lives in some way? Or is mm. it when you catch it, do you fall out of that state of mind? You, you sometimes, yeah, sometimes if you, the very first times you're probably gonna catch it and then realize you're not in that state anymore. But yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's that dual mind split that we were talking about in self-hypnosis. The mind, the part of you that is still in that moment and the part of you that says, hey, I am in this moment and you're observing it. And that using those moments as a way to uh, improve your life. It's probably not exactly how that would work. Uh, I would say you could use those moments to strengthen your trance abilities so that when you use self-hypnosis or meditation or actual hypnosis, you are using, or you can uh, build up your skill to get back to that state. I'm all about efficiency. So I'm like, if I can be sitting in traffic and, and hypnotizing myself, sure, <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds great. <laughs> Um, well, so the very first time that you realized like, oh, I just hypnotized myself. Like, what was, what was that like? 
that was oh, that was such an eye-opening experience because I, I realized halfway through it I'd like I was in hypnosis I was experience I was giving all the same indicators that someone who is deep in hypnosis was giving and it was that moment that this is what it feels like it was that realization that I've been doing it for um, I don't know a couple of weeks at that point and I just finally connected the dots that this is exactly what it's supposed to feel like do you use the same you called it an intro something an induction or induction um, do you use the same induction to get yourself there every time i personally do i hypnotists benefit from repetition and when you use the same induction with the client if they come to see you for you know three sessions if you use the same induction each time the brain says i recognize this pattern this is where you want me to go with that and so when i use the same induction for self-hypnosis I can get to that state much faster than if I was, you know, just mixing it up every time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How do you discover what inductions work for your clients? Like what would be best for them? Yeah, I, I think this is why so many hypnotists have a, a full toolbox of inductions because you're right. There are some that work some well for, for people who can visualize. There are some who work well for people who are more kinesthetic, who like that body movement. There are some people who just want to be kind of talked into a trance. And so if you use an induction and it doesn't quite land, you can always follow it up with a secondary induction. Hypno hypnosis is so flexible. It's uh, as long as you know what you're doing, it's, um, it's difficult to fail because you can uh, use each step along the way to help them deepen that trance. So if the induction itself did not go as deep as you expected to, you simply pull out another induction or another deepener to get them to that state. Do you have like a, I'm, try, I'm trying to think like callow, like very executive. Is there like an onboarding form that you're <laughs> like, what kind of a learner are you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Is there something well, like that? I think you have to feel oh. it out. Like we've, we talked to a lot of people. Do you feel like you have to rely on your intuition a little bit to know when you've kind of like, I, I'm like, like, like you're triggered or you hooked them in or like, you know, like, you know that you're going to be able to go there with that client. What does that moment look like for you? It is a little bit of intuition. It's also, so hypnosis, as with many other types of change work, it's all built on rapport. It's all built on that trust that you have with the hypnotist, with the, the subject. And when you have that rapport, uh, when you're in a connection with someone, it's, it's fairly easy to put them in a hypnotic trance with an induction. When you don't have that, you're going to have to build up that rapport before you can actually go into that hypnotic trance. So with hypnosis, when um, that moment, I guess you can say that uh, you know that they're going to go into trance, it's that moment that you start seeing tr external trance indicators, things like uh, facial relaxation, things like flushed skin, uh, there's a there's a phenomenon called a cataleptic limb when a limb is just hanging there in the air and it's it's when the uh, agonist and antagonist muscles the muscles that push and pull uh, they're in perfect balance and when I am when the, the I should say when the client is exhibiting these uh, indicators that tells me roughly where they're at in the process and where they're at on that scale to getting down to that theta state. 
imagine if we could get everyone there, then everything would just be all right. I feel like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like everybody just needs to operate at that level. And, oh, that's so interesting. Wow. I'm trying to think of the people who, so I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm a personal trainer, so I'm in fitness, the fitness industry. A lot of people, you know, trying to lose weight and get healthier. And do you find that the root of a lot of people's eating issues are the same that like that internal negative dialogue that you try to get past with hypnosis? I do. I found that I find that it's oftentimes anxiety based. I find that it's all off, I should say often also based on that negative self-talk as you, as you mentioned, it's people believing that they should be this way for a certain reason, whether they, um, they have difficulty loving themselves or if they, everyone in their family is this certain way, or they thought everyone above a certain age is just fat and unhappy. Like these internal thoughts are literally hypnotizing ourselves each and every day. One of the ways that um, hypnotists or hypnosis is really effective is through repetition. And you can use repetition, we all know, without that hypnotic trance. And it just takes longer. But if you've been telling yourself that, uh, that statement for the last 28 years or something, you are effectively hypnotizing yourself that this is true and that there is no other reality for it. Wow. I love that you use the word hypnotize yourself as the explanation for that. Cause that is, that truly, I mean, that makes sense to me. Changing your, changing your mindset, changing that inner dialogue and how you, you connect. That's so, so is there, powerful. Is there like, so, so your job is basically you're influencing people on an extreme level, right? You're, you're getting them to be vulnerable and, and let you into their mind mm -hmm. essentially. Are there, is there anything you sign that's like, I will not ruin this person's life or like, you know what I mean? Like, I just, <laughs> I know, I, I, I think the same thing. Like you could do some really that's good a stuff lot of with power. this. Or you could really be kind of manipulative or like you could, that's a lot of power. The, it, it sounds like a lot of power, but it is, it is only power that can be used in a good way because when you're working with a person's mind, part of their mind is always awake and always aware. Um, it's that part of you that is always alert to keep you safe. It's I think that's probably why I've been so hesitant. I don't mean to cut you off, yeah. but that's why. Because like you think, like, am I going to lose this indication of like what I feel is my quality is to say no or that's too much? Is that Are you going to be able to take that away? But to know that you are somewhat aware is yes. very – I'm – Okay, I'm getting on board. I'm absolutely, trying to. <laughs> absolutely. You are always awake and aware in hypnosis. And so if at any time a hypnotist gives you a suggestion that goes against your moral code, it will bring you out of trance. I actually okay. had a hypnotist friend who did an informal study of this. Uh, they gave clients uh, four beneficial suggestions and one mildly negative suggestion. I think like you'll give me $5 after the session or something. Yeah. And without fail, every single time, that negative suggestion brought the person completely out of trance because they had broken that trust with the subject yeah. and with the hypnotist. Yeah, you really have to surrender to your to your issues when you when you go into that. I mean, for real though, like that's the only way to get out of it is to fake. You know, oh, that's so cool. So, how many sessions 
on average would you say it takes somebody to make a lasting change? Certain changes, certain changes you can change in a single session. Like if someone comes in for nail biting or for uh, business confidence, that you can certainly do in a single session. I typically recommend clients come in for three to five sessions because that's a, a good range to make some powerful changes in. Uh, it's, if you're working on like a bigger issue like anxiety or um, I don't know, weight loss, if you've got some deep seated issues, that three to five sessions is a great way to break it down so that on the first one you're working on one specific thing and the next session you're working on another specific thing rather than tackling the issue as one whole issue in a single session you break it down into achievable steps so that they're seeing those wins those changes after each session but they are still um, layering up and building that pyramid that foundation of that change I just think it's a, it's a neat thing. I'm still skeptical. I am a skeptic, but what do you say to your skeptics, I guess? What do you want them to know? I would say that, well, there's over 125 years of science behind hypnosis. There, it's been approved by the British Medical Association, the American Medical Association, and so many others as a legitimate form of treatment. Uh, I would say that if you're curious about hypnosis and you just want to experience it, there are so many free hypnosis resources online. I've got so many on my own Instagram channel and YouTube, uh, and that's a great way for someone to experience hypnosis before they actually commit to a session. So my very limited experience with hypnosis, and it's not even for myself, it's, it was like in a movie or something. And it, um, they basically, I don't, I don't remember the movie, but I remember they put them in a trance and when they said a specific word, Oh my God! I just remembered the movie. <laughs> it was Zoolander. <laughs> they okay, but they they put him in a trance and said, "When you hear, it was a song. When they hear the song, then then you will go into this state of mind." Does that work? If you potentially, it's called post hypnotic suggestion, and uh, you do it it doesn't have to be something that you actually want as, as we've stated before so that's a caveat to that what we often do as hypnotists we build in post-hypnotic suggestions that uh, bring in a positive feeling state uh, perhaps it's like every time they see a color red part of them is going to feel empowered and amazing perhaps every time they uh, enter a certain room or are around a certain person they're going to feel a certain ego state in charge in that moment. Uh, it's all about building up the building up the automatic reaction at that point, making it something that is an instant habit, I guess is the best way to say it, so that you feel that way and you are ready for that state when it does come up in the future. So after you've hypnotized either gone yourself or, or others, is there kind of almost like a high that comes after that for a while of like writing that, like whatever problem you solved or whatever issue you tackled that day? There is, there is something called the hypnotic hangover. And that's a like one to three minutes after the hypnosis session where you're still kind of fuzzy and you're feeling fantastic because it was such a relaxing experience. And um, that's your mind just coming back up to speed, back up to that beta frequency. One of my, sorry, favorite books I've ever read was a, a book called, sorry, Cal, here we go again. 
Um, it's called You Are the Placebo by um, Dr. Joe Dispenza. And he talks specifically about the theta brainwaves. He talks mostly in terms of um, meditation, but he said that when you get into this brainwave state, it's like putting a fresh snow on the ground and all those pathways that you your brain has walked down over and over and over, your brain doesn't go straight to those pathways anymore. You're more freed up to kind of create a new neural pathway to think differently. Uh, I just thought that was like a beautiful metaphor. Yeah, absolutely. So being able to do what you do, you clearly have to keep your brain healthy. Like that has to be a priority of yours. So what are some things that you do out other than meditation to keep your brain healthy? I, I exercise regularly. I think that's a very important thing in my life, both for physical and for my mental health. I um, do yoga and I make sure that I always take time to go outside. Like it, it sounds so simple, but I very much subscribe to, subscribe to the idea that being in green spaces, being in nature is can be just effective at times as having antidepressants in your life. And so that is a pivotal part of my life. Oh my gosh. Well, where can people find you? We want to get them connected with you so that you can help change their neural pathways. <laughs> Absolutely. Probably the best way to find me is my website, which is anywherehypnosis.com. If they'd like to see my work on Instagram, it's uh, at making your meaning. And uh, if they want to check out those free hypnosis resources, they can find it there uh, at making your meaning on Instagram or on my YouTube channel and just by searching anywhere hypnosis. Thank you so much, Doug. Absolutely. Thank you. We'll talk soon. <laughs> Absolutely. You have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, we invite you to come be a part of the HDC community. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching at Have the Combo. For information on all of our shows, guests, and more, visit htcpod.com. While you're there, be sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Talk soon. <laughs>